Uh, if you are a guest today, we especially want to welcome you here. Hope that you'll stop by our connection desk out in the atrium before you leave. We'd have a team there that would love to help you know more about how to connect with our church. If you're joining us by television or online, we want to welcome you as well. If you're in the room, why don't you join me in giving a warm welcome to those watching online. Uh, maybe a few more of those this week with the holiday weekend and a couple of late games last night, but uh, we're so glad that you've joined us however you're with us. And we're expecting God uh, to continue to speak to us today. We have been in a series, uh, Pastor Chris has been preaching through the what we call the Free Methodist Way, five core values that really define um, our movement and this new chapter in the life of our church and hope that you've been following along with that and today. We're going to be talking about the last of those, which is the, uh, the idea of God-given uh, revelation. And, uh, and then next week, you'll want to be back. Pastor Chris will be back in town, and uh, we'll begin a, a part two, really, of a series. Earlier this year, we went through the first half of the book of Acts in a series that we called Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we will be uh, diving into the second half of that, continuing to see how the Spirit worked through the early church and how the Spirit continues um, to work in our own lives uh, through that. And so uh, you won't want to miss that uh, next Sunday and as we go forward for the next several weeks into the fall. Uh, but before we get uh, into our message for today, I do want to have uh, one other uh, announcement to share with you and then let's, uh, we'll pray together about this. You know, as, uh, as we have joined into this uh, family of the Free Methodist uh, Church along the way, many of you had the opportunity uh, to, meet, to meet Bishop Keith Cowart, who is our bishop, um, just an amazing spirit-filled man, and his wife Pam just showed so much love to us in our whole process of joining the Free Methodist Church, and we were so saddened uh, to learn this week um, that their 16-month-old granddaughter uh, passed away this week, and so we are in prayer for them as um, the whole uh, Free Methodist Church, lifting them up and uh, to the Lord uh, to see them through such a season of grief. And, um, and so why don't you join me in praying for them and also for ourselves that we could hear what the Lord would speak to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you've met us today in worship. Thank you for um, the testimony that we've heard today already of your faithfulness to us and for uh, the confidence that we have that you keep your promises and so, Lord, we come um, with uh, grief, um, but also with hope uh, as we lift up the Cowart family to you and the loss of Bethel, um, their little granddaughter, and just ask you to surround them with your arms of love and your peace that passes understanding. And uh, Lord, for others here maybe who have lost a child or a grandchild that may be uh, just reminded of that in, in this moment, comfort them as well, Lord, all of us have burdens that we bring today, and we trust you um, to walk with us through our deepest griefs and times of brokenness. But Lord, we also do that with hope because of the promises of your word and your faithfulness to us. So Holy Spirit, would you come speak to us today, lift up our eyes, lift up our hearts, and help us to see Jesus, for it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. As I said, we're going to be talking about God-given uh, revelation today, and uh, really what um, uh, I wanted to do is look at the story of 
the uh, road to Emmaus that's found in Luke chapter 24. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles there, that's page 1051. That's uh, Luke 24. We'll start in verse 13, page 1051 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, some of you know, uh, are familiar with the Walk to Emmaus, which is a, a spiritual retreat, and that I had an opportunity to um, to go on a, that retreat uh, very recently. Uh, so maybe this story was in my mind already. Uh, but uh, uh, I think it will be very instructive for us as we think about the idea of God-given revelation to walk through this story together. So let me start here in verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, that very day, so this is the day that uh, the women had gone to the tomb and found it empty and reported back to the disciples that Jesus was not there, that they had seen angels that told them he had risen. And it says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Some translations say with their, with their faces downcast. Um, and then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Now, I just want to pause there for a moment and just say, if you don't believe that Jesus has a sense of humor, um, they just asked Jesus if he knew what had happened in Jerusalem the last few days, and he's like, oh, what things? Uh, you know, has anything been happening in Jerusalem? Tell me about that. So they proceed uh, to tell him, uh, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So the first thing that I would want you to notice as we kind of take this walk with the disciples, as we find ourselves in this place where we're walking along with our own griefs and burdens and brokenness with our own struggles and sorrows in life. And we're maybe find ourselves sort of on a road away from Jerusalem and our faces sometimes are cast down. And, and, and as Jesus would come alongside of us as we're walking today and say, what, tell, me, tell me what's your conversation about. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me what you're thinking about. As, as we walk this road with him, the first thing that I would want you to notice in this story is that you can think you know when you don't know. Am I the only one who's had that experience? My wife is probably saying amen. You know, like you can think you know when you don't know. You see, these disciples are going to now proceed to tell Jesus what's been happening in Jerusalem the last few days. They think that they can tell him the story of what's been happening, right? They, they think that they know what's, what's going on in this situation, and actually they're walking in the whole wrong direction. They're actually totally misunderstanding what's happened around them, and all of us need to understand that we can think that we know when we don't know. You see, we we each have a choice in our life between 
Let me put it this way. We have a choice between the story that we've been telling ourselves, you know, the story that you tell yourself about the events in your life and what they mean to you, the story you're telling yourself about the events in the world around you and how you make sense of them, the story ultimately that you're telling yourself about what all of history means as you find yourself in the midst of it in this particular moment in time and space. You, the, you have a choice between the, the story that you have been telling yourself or the story that Jesus would tell to you about what's actually going on. And we need to become aware of the limitations of the story that we tell ourselves. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Don't just lean on your own understanding. Our own understanding is finite and limited, but we think we know when we don't actually know. What we need is God-given revelation. We need something more than just human philosophy, more than just human reasoning, more than just human understanding, more than the story that we have received from our culture or our society. We need a God-given revelation. We need to understand how to, how to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, to let him explain our ways to us, to let him show us how to walk in a straight path rather than trying to tell God what the story of our life really means. You know, when we look at the text of the, the free Methodist way that we've been talking through, this document uh, that shapes our movement, it says this about God-given revelation. It says, we hold unwaveringly to our conviction that the Bible is the inspired word of God and our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. See, I think that, that an important word in that sentence is this word authority. There's a controlling narrative and there's a trust factor that goes into it. Sometimes we say that we believe the Bible is the word of God, but if it's not the authority for us, if, it doesn't, uh, if we don't allow it to control how we, we view the world, our faith and our practice, our understanding of what reality is, our understanding of what truth is, our understanding of what the story that we find ourselves means, and then our practice, how we live in the midst of that reality, how we live in response to our understanding of that truth. If it's not the authority of our faith and practice, then we haven't yet really understood what it means that this is God-given revelation. This is the inspired word of God that the Holy Spirit was at work through the human authors of Scripture to reveal God to us. And, 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 and because it comes from God, that it is authoritative, it is the controlling narrative for our lives. You see, God reveals his character in history. He reveals his character in history. God is a God of love and love is known by its actions. And so God acts in history with mighty acts of salvation. He acted to give promises to Abraham that he would bless him and, and bring up a nation through him. And he gave him an offspring and a family. He promised uh, to bring up his people out of slavery. He acted to bring them out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land. He acted to raise up uh, kingdoms over them. He acted to defend them. He acted to bring them back from exile. And he acted in history through Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. God has moved in history through these events, through these stories. He is revealing his character through his acts in history, but he reveals the meaning of history through his word. The events that happen in order for us to make sense of them, we need his word that records for us how he has acted in history and interprets to us the meaning of history. 
We don't just need to know the facts of history. We need to know the meaning that comes from God's revealed word. You see, the the problem is that we are not able of ourselves to comprehend God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says it this way, for my thoughts, God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so not just a little bit, but as much as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We cannot simply by taking human philosophy and reasoning come to an understanding of the divine. There is this idea in our culture that if we just get enough science, we're gonna understand everything and we can figure out all of our problems. If we just had enough education, if we just had enough human philosophy, we could figure it all out. But God says, no, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. You of yourself are not gonna be able to comprehend the divine. You're not gonna be able to know God by yourself. But although we cannot comprehend God in our own ability, God is able to reveal himself to us. I have a a friend who has not yet really come to a full understanding of faith in Christ, and sometimes he'll say things like, I I just think that um, it seems kind of arrogant. Like, how could anyone, if there is an infinite God, how could a finite human actually claim to understand him? And I would actually say to him, I actually agree with that. Like, it's true. Just, just from ourselves as human beings, we could not claim to know the God of the universe. However, if he is God, then he is able to reveal himself to us. And he, if he chooses to do that and does reveal himself to us, then it would be arrogant for us to reject that revelation from God and not receive how he has spoken to us. And so God is able to reveal himself to us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says, Uh, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. God has given us a revelation through the scriptures that ultimately point to Jesus and the mind of Christ can be ours. We can have knowledge of God because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And so as we continue on in this story, on this walk to Emmaus, we saw that they said to Jesus, you know, we had hoped, verse 21, that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. And yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they even had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that just as the women had said, which men, that's how it works, if you would just listen. The women had already said it, but they went and checked it out. They found that just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The second thing I want you to see in this story is that hopelessness will blind you to reality. Hopelessness will blind you to reality. We see that they had hope that he was the redeemer until he was crucified. And so now the implication is they have given up their hope. And so they actually have all the facts in front of them. There are eyewitnesses that have seen visions from angels telling them Jesus has been raised from the dead. They've gone and checked it out. They've checked out the tomb. They've verified that his body is no longer there. They have the facts being presented to them, but they can't put the meaning together because they've given up hope. And can I tell you that this is true for you as well. When you look at the facts of history, when you look at the facts of your own life, you may know the events that have happened, but you won't be able to assemble it together and truly understand the meaning until you have the hope that the scriptures provide. 
which is why we need to dive into the whole narrative of Scripture. When we look at the Bible from cover to cover, the whole narrative arc of Scripture, we see a pattern that repeats itself over and over where God gives the birth of a vision, and then that vision will die. And then there is a supernatural fulfillment of that vision. God gives a promise to Abraham, you will have children, but then his wife is barren. Then there's a supernatural fulfillment of that. He gives a promise to Joseph, you will be a great leader, but then he goes to prison, but then God raises him up. He gives a promise to David that you will be king, but then he becomes persecuted and on the run, but then he's exalted to the throne. Then the whole narrative of scripture is leading up to this idea that we have this, this, this vision, this idea from God, and then it, it seems to perish before our eyes, and yet God is faithful. He is true to his promises. He raises that back up. So when we're formed by the whole of scripture, it, it builds hope into our lives. So that when we come to those difficult moments like the Cowart family is facing today, when we come to those moments of testing and trial and we can't see the way forward and the facts can't seem to make sense to us, when we're formed by the whole of Scripture, it builds hope into our lives so that we hang on to the promises of God and to his faithfulness, which is why in those difficult times of life, we don't need a little truth tweet. We don't need a little inspirational Instagram. We don't need just a five-minute devotional. We need the kind of book by book, memorizing and meditating day and night, studying cover-to-cover uh, uh, cover knowledge of God's Word so that we're formed by the whole of Scripture so that hope is built into every fiber of our being because hopelessness will blind you to reality. As we continue on in the story, though, Jesus has rebuked them gently, but he's rebuked them and said, hey, you've become foolish uh, because you have failed to believe not only uh, the facts that were in front of them, but he said, oh, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What I want you to notice here is that Jesus, get this, Jesus explained Jesus using the Bible. He says, beginning with Moses, that, that was a shorthand reference to the first five books of the Bible and all the prophets, the remaining books of the Old Testament that they had at that time, beginning with all these scriptures and going through them, he explained to them what they should have already known about what was going to happen to the Christ. Jesus used scripture to explain Jesus. And so the question before us is, if Jesus uses scripture to explain Jesus, how do we think we're going to know Jesus if we don't know the Bible. Jesus could have, I imagine, I imagine he could have done many things to you know, explain himself to them as the resurrected Messiah, but what he chose to do was say, you need to believe what is written in the scriptures. You need to believe what has been given to you in the prophets. And he opened them and showed them that all of scripture, notice not just a few verses here and there, not just New Testament or Old Testament, but all of scripture is about Jesus. And he opened their understanding to see that. I'd like to, you know, imagine that maybe some of the things he told them were these, that Jesus said, you know, that he is the word that created the world. He's the true man made in the image of God. 
He's the fruit of the tree of life. He's the bridegroom whose bride was taken from his side. He's the acceptable sacrifice of Abel. He's the door of Noah's ark. He's the promised seed of Abram or the ram that took Isaac's place. He's the blessing on Jacob's wrestling. He was the rod of Joseph's rule. He's the voice in the burning bush. He's the Passover lamb that was slain. He's the footsteps that parted the waters of the Red Sea. He's the cloud by day and the fire by night. He's the manna that came from heaven and the water that was in the rock. He's the law that gives life. He's the great high priest, the perfect offering in the heavenly tabernacle. He's the shout that brought down Jericho's walls and the scarlet thread that saved Rahab. He's the hornet that drove the nations out of the promised land. He's Samson's strength and Gideon's army. He's the redeemer of Ruth and the shepherd of David. He's the stone by which David slew Goliath and the cave that hid him from Saul. He's the king who reigns forever on David's throne. He's the fire that fell for Elijah and the healing that came from Elisha. He's Nehemiah's wall and Ezra's teaching. He's He was in the lion's den with Daniel, in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the king's court with Esther. He's the suffering servant and the exalted son. He's the hope of Israel and the light of the nations. He's the son of God and the son of man, the light of the world and the life of men. He's the lion of Judah and the lamb that was slain. And we haven't even gotten to the New Testament yet. Amen. Amen. It says that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he can explain to them the the scriptures, all of which are concerning Jesus. It's all about Jesus in its entirety, which means if you don't know the Bible, you don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Bible. And so I'm just um, prayerful, I guess I could say, in my spirit, because we face a time in our nation now, in our churches and in our homes and in our individual lives when we face a test. We're facing a test. And there, there are people that I know that have a sincere faith in Jesus, but they have allowed another story to come in. A different story has presented itself to them and they're trying to squeeze the Bible to fit into this other story. And there's some pieces of the Bible that don't fit into that story. And the temptation before us is to ask the question, am I going to fit my story to Jesus or am I going to take the parts of the Bible that don't seem to fit into the story the world is telling and toss them out? And the problem with that is I, I, I sincerely believe, although they may have faith in Christ now, when you lose the Bible, you will eventually lose Jesus. All of it. All of it is concerning Jesus Christ, and it's all God-given revelation so that we could know him, so that we could trust in him, and so that we could walk in his way of salvation. Well, Jesus goes on then, after interpreting the scriptures to them in verse 28, it says, so they drew near to a village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent, and so he went to stay Uh, went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. The thing I want you to notice here is when you get a little bit of Jesus, hang on to it and you can get more. They, they, They had not yet recognized Jesus, but they somehow knew enough in this moment that when he acted as if he was gonna go on further and they were coming into their home. They said, would you, would you just come into our home? Would you just come in to our table? And what they discovered was when they thought they were inviting Jesus, 
into their table. Jesus was actually setting a table for them. And what I want to say to you today is I understand. I understand that the Bible is a complicated book. And it's difficult. And there are parts of it that blow our minds and parts that we, we don't understand why that's in there. And it's okay. You can spend a lifetime studying it. But here's the thing. The little bit of Jesus that you have, hang on to that. Let's hold on to what we have. Let's hold on to the faith that we've been given, and then let's ask the Spirit to give us more. Let's ask Jesus, would you come into my home? Continue to speak to me about these things, and he will respond to that invitation. If you begin to seek him with whatever measure of faith he's given you, he will unfold to you. He's not afraid of your questions or your doubts or your, or your problems with Scripture. He will unfold it to you, but hold on to what you've already received of him, and he will come and abide with you and teach you his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, the last part of it here in this story says this. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were gathered there with them saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to us. Here's the thing I want you to see in this, into this story, that Christ is revealed. Christ is revealed when broken people find broken bread. You know, we're called to know God fully. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know him fully, even I, as I have been fully known. And there's, there's two ways that people seem to want to approach the Bible that don't work. One way is they come with their brokenness and they, and they, and they think, I can't believe in the God of a Bible because I've experienced this, this brokenness and I... And I I just don't think God is faithful. I don't think he's there. And so they want to reject the scripture and take it out of their lives. Or on the other hand, there are those who come to the Bible and they, and they want it to be like this little three-step plan. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll never have any problems or any suffering in my life. And so they, they believe in a version of the Bible that they make up for themselves where they pull out pieces of it. But here's the, here's the way that Scripture is actually given to us. What we find in the Scripture is that all the Scripture points to Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah who's given to us, but he's a Messiah who is crucified on our behalf. And so the Bible is this story that tells us that we do have our brokenness. We have the things that we've done that have broken our own lives and the things that others have done that have broken us. But we have a Savior who meets us in our brokenness and who comes to us and says, here is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in that story that he gave them before he went to the cross, now in this moment, as they see him break the bread, their eyes had been downcast before, but now it's like they're lifted up and they see Jesus anew. And he's overcome the brokenness, not by avoiding it, but by going through the midst of it and showing God's faithfulness and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so this is our practice in our church, 
we come and we present the whole of God's word as God-given revelation and we say this is a communion with God in word. And then we take communion together and we say this is a sermon given in our body. And so I would just encourage you this morning to take the package of you receive for the communion elements today and take this as a moment to respond to the Lord. As you take the, the bread and the juice that's provided there. And as Jesus instructed us, if we could take them in remembrance of him. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us in your mighty acts of salvation in history, that you gave yourself for us on a cross. You were crucified and buried for our sins and the sins of the whole world. But you have been raised from the dead and vindicated as the righteous one and our true Savior and Lord. And you have made a memorial for us in your word that has been faithfully passed down to us throughout the generations so that we could know you. And in the gift of this meal that we share together. And so we ask, Lord, right now, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we could partake in his suffering and in his victory right now in this moment through these gifts. And then would you make us to be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood together in ministry to the whole world until you come in the final age and we feast together with you at your table forever and ever. Amen. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Likewise, after the supper was over, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, come. Renew our understanding of Christ. Renew our vision of Christ in this bread and this cup and in the words that you've given to us. We want to know you fully, even as you have fully known us in all of our brokenness. In Jesus' name.